If I have not said it recently, you may not know. I have two really simple rules for this podcast. Rule number one, we talk about what the guest wants to talk about, what they're passionate about, what's most meaningful to them. Two, we do not talk about what they don't want to talk about. And if I somehow stumble into an area they do not want to talk about, we cut it out. You know, the guest is in control. This is not journalism. This is conversation. This is us trying to get to know one another. There's no gotcha here. And this week, I talked to a a buddy of mine. Her name is uh, Kara Truitt. And she has invited me into this world which has been female-dominated. Um, it's called Koya. It's a movement, not not unlike yoga or uh, Tai Chi or Qigong, and absolutely fascinating. Her business is called Art of You, Y-O-U. And so there were big chunks of this. She controlled this. And she said, I don't want this chunk in or that chunk in, or I want you to put this part about how I bought a yoga studio just before COVID. That was key to her development. So we put it back in. Um, We sat on the couch in her sister's lovely, lovely townhome in Tiga Kay, South Carolina, just across the border from Charlotte. And Vander the Boxer was there, so you'll hear Vander snuffling because Vander kept bringing me a tennis ball but then would not release it from his powerful jaws, wouldn't let me throw it. And then when I threw it, he would just kind of amble over and bring it back and then not release it. Um, We also, I should note, spend the early part of the podcast talking about a workshop which Google has produced. It's free, and I recommend it. I took it. It's, again, mostly women. There was a woman from Costa Rica on our workshop on Zoom and another one from Colombia. So primarily for women, it's called I Am Remarkable. And if you get a chance to take it, you can sign up. Um, Our friend and fellow squad mate, Marissa Cheslock, uh, let me in on one of these calls. And it's really, really useful And you'll hear us refer to that in the beginning of the podcast. So enough of the notes. Here's the show. Let yourself feel it all. There's no way around it. Head up, wings out. You are enough. This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, and welcome to In Her Words, the podcast. I'm Stuart Watson. Um, In one week, one week of her life, uh, Kara Truitt, my guest today, went bankrupt, got divorced, filed for divorce, and her sister died in one week and that was more than a decade ago and then she moved back in with her parents and shortly thereafter totaled her car it was an all-time low for her since then in the more than decade 
that has passed. She has remarried a great guy she calls her Rock. They had two kids together, have a wonderful home. She launched multiple businesses and purchased another one and sold it. And that was a yoga studio just before COVID. Uh, Her businesses are under the umbrella Art of You, A-R-T-O-F-Y-O-U. Primarily deals with women, uh, but agreed to talk to me and really didn't want to. Really kind of a shy person, but it's, I'm so glad she did. I'm so glad she did. I'm so thankful. Cara Truitt. Hearing other people's stories is what gave me like confidence in my life, you know? What what helped me find worth, I think. So I hope that me telling stories will help someone else in some way. What about helping you? Well that yeah, that too. Why not help you? See, I want you to be purely selfish. <laughs> well, I'm, I am getting into this, this sh- shameless self-promotion game here, so I'm good with it. Did you take the... the Where does this, should this... Is this good that's, there? That's good. Okay. Did you take the the little class? Oh, I am remarkable. I did. did yeah. Did you take it? I did. I think that they initially started it just for women, but then they expanded it now, which is good. It did. Kind of like me. Yeah. Yeah, um, I did. I did take it. It was great. Um, it's funny. The thing that I wrote down was not what I was expecting. You know, when they get to the end and they say, you know, write down or you have to say, like, what made you remarkable? What did you get to that surprised you? I thought what, what surprised me was I felt like there were multiple people in the group that wrote down things that were like not their favorite things about themselves, but ended up being the things that were what made them remarkable. So like for me, I wrote that I'm remarkable because I I don't have a college degree. I didn't go to college, but yet I've been able to get really good at building relationships and collaborating and building community and have been able to really work my way up in business to the point of owning businesses and having employees and becoming you know, a business owner in spite of my education. And that was something that, you know, I've been, I, that I've struggled with my life, you know, just like not liking that I didn't go to college or not being, not feeling like it, my education was enough, but it hasn't hindered me in life. I don't know. It made me really good at just building relationships and every job that I've ever had was because I either built a relationship or I walked in the door and said, hi. Well, that's... The, I'd like to work for you. Yes, that's the... That's, and those are the jobs that I got. So I don't even know that having a degree would have changed a lot about... Or it might have changed it because I might have just gone different directions, you know, and applied for different jobs. But um, I don't know. I don't think that it ended up being... 
And I, you know, I might still decide to get a college degree. You know, I'm, I'm only almost 40. <laughs> There's plenty of time left, but I haven't found the, uh, the need to do it, you know, later in life. So what else point. did you find that made you remarkable? Oh, um, rebuilding my life from nothing in 2011 to where I am now. I, I had the courage to leave an abusive marriage and which was also leaving my job, my house, my belongings and my community to get away. Um, That's hugely courageous. Yeah. Yeah. So the week that my sister died in 2011, this was, was the also, car wreck. Yes. Yeah, so she was in an, in an accident, um, not far from here. And, uh, interestingly enough, I actually saw it, the wreck. I drove past her car on the highway and so did my brother. We were going different directions, had no idea we were, any of us were in the same area, but it's, you know, it's very close to where we live. So he called me about like 10 minutes later and said, I just saw Carissa's car on the side of the highway. And I said, no, I just drove past that wreck, but I was on the opposite side. So I didn't, it was on 77. It was raining very much like today. And, um, so anyway, we started calling around, we called her boyfriend and said, Hey, have you seen her? She, cause he was sure it was her car. And he said, uh, no, she was supposed to meet me like half hour ago. And I haven't heard from her. She's not re re responding to my text messages. So that was, uh, that was a big moment. Uh, what feeling did you get in your body when? Um, well, I was driving, I was on the road. I, I was in a little bit of disbelief, but also knowing at the same time, like, okay, I know something's wrong. My brother sounded really sure. And so we, I, I kind of sprung into action. That's sort of what I do in those moments. I'm like, who do I need to call? What needs to happen next? So I'm driving to an appointment. Um, I, ha I was driving really far away to, um, but I was dropping off some stuff. So I just kept heading to where I was going. And we just all started calling around hospitals. So me and my brother started calling and her boyfriend started calling hospitals. And I don't know, it was her boyfriend that eventually finally got a hold of somebody that, um, that said that there was, that like confirmed that there was someone that matched her description that was life flighted from that area to the hospital. And, and somehow confirmed that it was her because there was like her purse went flying to the other side of the, like they didn't have any ID. It was really hard for them to identify who she was at first, but I guess the license plate or whatever, they, they ended up figuring out that it was her. And I was just really grateful that we found out that like where she was so we could go. And I was expecting her to be hurt. I wasn't expecting her to be in a coma getting CPR when I arrived. 
Um, but I called my parents and they rushed in and called my sisters. And so I was sort of in like action mode, you know, for that next hour, calling people, like making sure that everyone else was getting there. Cause I knew it was going to take me a long time to get there from where I was, um, on the North side of Charlotte at the time. And so I'll never forget. I walked in, went to the ER. They were like, she's in the ICU. And that's when I knew it was bad. And that was the longest elevator ride of my life, getting to the ICU. It was like three elevators. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, where is this ICU? And uh, so when I stepped off of the elevator, I walked, started walking down the hallway and a man, doctor in a white coat, stopped me, put his hand on my shoulder, like stopped me in my tracks. And he said, are you Kara? And I said, yes. And I looked past him and I saw my whole family sitting in a row of chairs at the end of the hallway. And he said, well, your sister's in a coma. They're doing CPR right now. Just want you to know that before you walk down there. I think he just wanted me to be prepared for what I was about to see. And I was grateful. Um, but I kind of brushed him off, like let go of me. <laughs> and like just said, okay, like let go of me. And I wanted to get there. So I got there, I, I, I brushed right past my family and ran into the room and grabbed onto her. And I was really grateful that I made it in time. And I think she was waiting because everyone else was there. I was, and she died like five minutes after I got there. I was talking to her in her ear when she died. What was, were you uh, saying? I don't remember. I think I was just telling her to hang on, you know. I'm here. It's going to be okay. Um, I mean, we were all there, but it was, yeah, it was almost 12 years ago. I still feel like I have a limb missing from my body. But um, anyway, two days later, well, actually two days before that, um, I had filed for divorce. And two days before that, I had filed for bankruptcy. So it was like one of those times in life where the dominoes just fell one after the other. And, you know, she losing her was just so unexpected. You know, I'm grateful that she looked very, very peaceful. She didn't look like she was in pain. Like I think she probably knew she was getting in an accident, but you know, that's happened to me multiple times in my life. I've been in, in several accidents um, but you just don't think you're going to, you know, I don't think she thought she was going to die. I think she just thought like, oh no, you know, let me get control of my car or something. But she was, uh, it was due to a brain injury. So that's, but she didn't look injured at all. She looked very, very peaceful. Um, and it's interesting. I never thought I'd want to be with someone when they died. And I was with my grandfather when he died and I was with my sister and I was so grateful for both of those experiences that I was there. It really, um, it gave a certain closure that I, I'm really grateful that I had. Um, and then two days, then about two months after she died, I had moved in with my parents and, um, you know, going through divorce and I ended up in a car wreck that totaled my car, which was pretty much the last possession that I had at the time. 
um, and ended up just on my back. It was I was injured, but you know, not seriously. Um, but I I couldn't walk for a couple of weeks. I was just really bruised up. Um, didn't have a house. Didn't have. Were you working at all? I was a sales director for Mary Kay, so I was running my own business, but. I was also at the time working for my husband's company, which obviously fell apart at the same time. So I was really struggling financially. So anyway, I um, I had to start over. And I was so grateful because even though I was homeless, technically, I, I never was without a roof over my head. I have an amazing family. They totally scooped me up and took care of me. In fact, I was actually living with my sister, the one that died, her and I. We're living together. We were both going through divorce at the same time, which was a little too much drama for one house. Um, but we lived together and we were really close um, right before she died. And then I, I lived with my parents after that. Um, Do you believe in something like karma? I believe that love is the most important thing. And if you love people well, then that will come back to you. Um, How do you practice that? What does that look like? Love. Does it look like doing a podcast interview when you really, really don't want to do that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. It means being a woman of your word. And when you say, yes, I'll go on your podcast, you show up. Um, no, I think that to me, my my perspective of love has shifted to realize that it starts with self-love. Um, it's why I do the work that I do. And, you know, I talk to people a lot about embracing their authenticity and growing in self-love. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you love every single thing about yourself. It means that you love yourself enough to choose love. Um, that you, that you won't accept abuse from people, that you will choose love for yourself so that, you know, if you treat yourself well, if you see yourself as a work of art, which is why my business is called Art of You, right? Then you're going to treat others that way more easily because you're going to value, if you value yourself, then you can value them. You treat you, you teach other people how to love you by the way that you love yourself. And so I don't want to put words yeah. in your mouth, but I want to make sure I understand what yeah. you're saying. It sounds like what you're saying is, so we were, we were given this, not just a vessel, but a mind, spirit, whatever. So I didn't make me, <laughs> I was, I was given this by whatever process there was. Um, so I am to honor and respect that, to treat that with respect. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I respect me, that means like no one can ever treat you better than you treat yourself. Exactly. No one can love you more than you love yourself. And so. Because you won't be able to accept it. Right. And so if you love yourself, then that love will also then radiate to other people because you know your value, then you also know their value. And I used to think that you could love 
other people more than you love yourself. But that's not the case. Yeah, that's like a law of physics. Right. Um, you, the, the way 12-step programs put it is, you cannot transmit something you do not have. Right. So you can never like give away more than you have. Right. Self-love is a prerequisite for loving others. Yes. Um, so that, and, and then just. And I think a lot of times I have a problem and I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you're But fine. this is my own hang up, uh-huh. which I'm trying to work through, which I'm trying to get a tutorial from, from, <laughs> from Kara. Uh, um, it's Kara. It's Kara. Yeah. I'm trying to get a tutorial from Kara. My British friends say Kara. I'll answer to anything well, that starts British. with a C because um, all of my I'm a redneck. family's names are C names. <laughs> um, I, I, I thought I love me or I love myself sounds narcissistic. It sounds mm-hmm. vain. But instead, if I translate it, I'm just like, holy cow. The universe, God, the creator loved me because of how incredibly improbable it is that you and I be sitting on a couch talking to each other. It's, it's just incredibly exponential, you know, just trillions and trillions to one odds that we would be born, mm-hmm. let alone that I would make it to 64 and you would make it to almost 40 and we would sit on a couch and have these realizations. It is incredibly improbable. And so simply acknowledging that is the beginning of understanding that, you know, we're, we have value. We have value because the universe created it, that life has value. Oh, poor pup. Yeah, I'm here with my little dog nephew. Sit down, baby. Sit down. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the other part of it too, is I think that we have to realize that love is a verb and it's a choice. And in every moment you have the opportunity to choose love in how you speak to yourself and how you speak to other people. Um, and, you know, I can't teach my children to love well without that like it has to start hey, with you me model it loving myself and loving them and teaching them how to value and love themselves but that is something you learned through this incredible pain right <clears throat> yeah for so sure. that's what i that's this is the juicy stuff yeah <laughs> so yeah I mean, how I- is it that you're not like completely destroyed by that succession of things. How did you learn resilience, the practice of resilience? Because that is love to come back mm. from these very deep wounds. <laughs> this puppy is so excited to have a friend here. Sit down, baby. Sit down. Um, you know, Sue, I. I get a lot of value and a lot of healing from community. Um, So that's sort of like the why behind what you do, right? So what do I do now? Well, I build community, (laughs) of course. 
Um, but you create I, it. Yeah, I, 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 well, I foster it. I, yeah. I. Um, well, what creates it then? The universe itself. Well, so so maybe I'm the catalyst for that. Um, but I do, I do feel that. There was a really dark period. I'm not, I mean, I didn't just immediately bounce back and be like, okay, I'm going to just go on with life. I mean, I, I got really, really good at the work of not feeling and was just very busy for a very long time. And then it wasn't until, um, a couple years later when I stepped foot into the yoga studio which I had no idea then one day I would own. <laughs> um, but I went to a class and sat on a mat in a room full of, full of people. It was like about 30 people in that class. It was my very first yoga class ever. And I heard the sound of Om for the first time. And it was like, the wall that I built around my heart, just the sound just cracked it open. And I love the saying that Rumi says, the wounds are where the light enters you, or, you know, the, the hurt is where the light comes in. So that to me is what happened that day. And so all of a sudden I started to kind of open myself up to this community and the healing. I thought that I like had done it already. It was funny because I remember thinking, why am I feeling all this pain all over again? Because I like, I had pushed it aside, you know, for a couple of years at that point. And, um, I was even remarried. I was, you know, I was rebuilding my life, my career, and um, uh, and then I, that's the when I realized, oh, there's a lot more healing left to do. <laughs> um, and so I found that there. I found that in the community um, that they really kind of held me there. I, I ran to the front desk after class because I could not afford the yoga classes, and I was like are you hiring? <laughs> There's one of those, are you hiring jobs um, that I, that I got, but they had a program where you could volunteer and um, get free classes. So I was like, sign me up. Where um, was that? At B Yoga in Charlotte. On we had 12 step meetings in that. Yes, that's right. Was it the one on East Boulevard? Yeah, it was the one, actually the one on Carmel Road. Okay. I've never that been was, to that one. Yeah. So Wendy, uh, Swanson. Swanson and Andrew Diamond owned B Yoga. They had two locations, one on Carmel Road and one in Dilworth. And I lived on Carmel Road. So um, I went there and then, but then I ended up getting a job because the only place they had an opening was in Dilworth. So that's, so I, even though I was living in Carmel and I would practice at Carmel a lot, I would drive up to Dilworth and work at the front desk for a couple of months. And then um, they asked me, because I let the manager know that I was kind of looking for something, you know, what was next um, for me. And they asked if I wanted to interview for the business manager position. So I still had my kind of business on the side. I was freelancing as a professional makeup artist and um, was working in kind of chiropractic office at the time. And um, so I got the job as the business manager 
And then um, when the director of operations left to have a baby, I took her job and ended up managing both locations uh, for a, a while. I was, I guess it was like around four or five years that I worked there before then they um, decided to close the Carmel Road location and then they sold the Dilworth location to me because they were ready to do something else. So I bought the yoga studio. At that point, you know, the, they had become like family, the, the whole community there, the teachers, the, the owners, the, the students. I just was smitten <laughs> with that community. And so I was like, I'll buy it. I just didn't want it to change. You know, I wanted it to stay the same. Little did I know <laughs> that a pandemic was coming six months later. <laughs> So uh, financially, not the best time to buy a yoga studio, but I was—I do not regret it. I'm, I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity um, and that I was, and I think that it's my love for the community and knowing like the healing that's possible there in that community We're really in any community, you know, that's right for you, but I knew that it was important to keep it going. And so when the pandemic came and almost every other studio in the city shut down, I, well, we had to leave the space because we couldn't stay in the space, obviously. I was actually the first one to close um, before it was even required because we had so many of the older population that were in our students and I was just you know, concerned for everyone's health. So I just decided to close. And then two days later, it was mandated. Um, so we were on track with that. But um, immediately the next day, we had classes on Zoom. We had, and I, you know, orchestrated virtual classes, um, outdoor classes, and we were able to keep it going the entire time. Um, and then about two years ago, uh, when my lease ran out, because we, we did go back into the space kind of off and on, you know, as we could and dealt with all of the you know, cleaning and everything. It, it, it wasn't feasible to keep that space open because we couldn't fit enough people in there, you know, with six feet apart. It was a small studio. Um, so we closed, we did not renew the lease. And at that time, when we, when we closed the brick and mortar, I completely changed the business model um, to become a collective. So, ah. Is that like a nonprofit or what is it? It's not. So in a traditional studio, the way that we were doing it, you know, a student would come in and pay for classes and then we would pay the teachers for people that came to the class. Um, but there, it was very uh, difficult financially, both for the owners and for the teachers. It really wasn't um, very profitable for anybody. <laughs> Um, it was really more of a community service. And so um, I changed it because really all of the teachers are independent contractors anyway. And so I wanted them to be able to make more. I wanted them to be able to foster better relationships with their students. And uh, I wanted to make it accessibly priced for students as well. And so uh, what I did was really we closed Bioga. We opened a new business called Bioga Collective, 
And what it was, was really a membership for the teachers. So they are their own business owners. They're independent. They pay for um, a membership to the community where we then do all of the marketing, the website, the, you know, the technology with Zoom and um, have the schedule that's public so that they have the benefit of being in part of a studio. But um, they collect 100% of the sales from their students. So, you know, a student that wants to pay them $50 for a class, they get to keep all 50 or somebody, you know, they want to offer it at a lower price for somebody that, you know, is so it's more accessible to them, they can do that. So they're kind of in total control. We, we did all of the pricing on a sliding scale um, for students. So that made it a little bit more accessible to people to be able to come. And also for the, the teachers to be able to take more control of their business um, but still maintain the ability to be in community with other teachers and students. So uh, that was two years ago. So it the the idea uh, that came out of my head <laughs> uh, succeeded, and it's still going. I recently turned it over to another teacher to run, so I'm no longer running the the yoga collective. Allison, Allison Modafferi, yeah, Bruce she's Stewart. amazing, yeah. And I want to talk to both Wendy and Allison. For you should. There, I I attribute much of my healing to both of them, and and my success as well. They're they're both they're both amazing. Um, yeah. So then I I decided to help my husband uh, leave his job of thirteen years so he could pursue his the new husband new business. Yes, new but not new. I mean, we've just celebrated ten years of oh, marriage. Oh, congratulations! So yeah. Um, 10 years and two babies, we, no. we are well on our way. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, uh, well, the, the thing before I lose it is, um, if you can go back and put your arm around that, uh, that Kara, which one, <laughs> the one right after the loss, loss, loss. Oh. What would you tell her about? It's it's going to be it's going to be okay. Let yourself feel it all. There's no way around it. Um head up, wings out. You are enough and you have all you need in the people that are around you. Um, and in yourself. Mm. And um, you're always going to feel the pain, but your purpose will become bigger than your pain. That's beautiful. And um, yeah. So now, you know, to me, you know, it, it, it still comes down to community. Now we're, we're building the art of you community. Um, and my work is really focused. It's, it's guided a lot by my years with B yoga, but also my years with other, um, with other people as well. I, I, I've always found that my biggest healing has happened in circle with women. Um, 
whether that was in the Mary Kay community or in the yoga community. Um, and so I really love creating experiences for women to find healing and find um, self-love. And right now we're, we're building the Art of You retreat business. Uh, fun. And so I offer both like things for the community at you know, in general. And, um, but my specialty is really like, or the thing that, that I'm really passionate about is, is helping women find their, their worth because I, I had women do that for me. And that's what gave me the courage to leave an abusive marriage. Um, I can't even imagine who I would be now if I had stayed or if I would even be alive at this point. So, um, so you allowed me into a Koya class. You 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 made special exception. Allowed? For, Are you kidding? I was I was honored that well, you that you came to my Koya. Well, I was honored that you allowed me, but I want to talk about Koya. Yeah, because essentially you're talking about a type of movement, yes. not unlike yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, only um, it the the philosophy of it is matriarchal it is from the mothers from mm. the queens the mm. women yeah so koya is, is in, the official name is koya inspired movement it is a movement practice that's based on the idea that through movement we remember and we remember our essence is wise wild and free and the name Koya is a Quechua word that comes um, And the from Quechua are indigenous Peru. people from... Peru. Mm -hmm. And it means queen. Um, so the, the Koya were sort of the women healers of the community, the mothers, like you said. Mm. Um, the, it was like a pre-Incan civilization. It, was, it dates very, very far back, but that's now where the, the name comes from. Women yeah. healers sounds less analogous to king or prince mm -hmm. and more analogous to shaman or uh, like a minister or a, like a, almost a spiritual healer. I mean, I think with the Koya, there's there's different definitions of it, but... but Initially, the, the Inca were the kings and the Koi were the queens. But the Inca could not do their work without the, without the Koya. It was a, so it's sort of, it kind of do goes back Inca to like the masculine and feminine energies. I feel like the Koya is really more of the feminine energy. And the, the feminine energy or the Koya energy is more about the flow and the cyclical nature of things. So have a cup of tea. Right. And, and that sleep you know, is important. We have enough time. It's all, you know, the, It'll clock get is, done. the clock is round, you know, it keeps going around. It'll get so done. we have um, time to just slow down to feel more. Um, and to be more aware. Yeah, and, and to very physically tap into like the fluidity of the body. A lot of the exercises that we do too are very um, linear, you know, whether that's running or even yoga can be really about holding specific postures. And with Koya, the movement piece is really about um, more fluid movements. 
Um, and to unlearn that you don't know how to move your body. <laughs> a lot of people think, I can't dance or I don't know how to do that. And it's, it's really just about tapping into the innate movement that everyone knows how to do. And it's about really tapping in to listen to the physical sensation of truth in the body and your inner wisdom. When and why is it important for women to have women's only movement? I think it's important for, for both men and women to have places that they can go that they feel fully understood. Um, and there's definitely, you know, a guard that gets let down when you are as a woman with other women. Um, and there's also, you know, a lot to be said that not women don't always trust other women either. Um, so a lot of that is kind of healing those sister wounds and those mother wounds and things that people bring um, to the circle. And the movement is great, but the movement is more of a portal to conversation and to being seen and heard and understood and, and loved and to find, you know, your tribe, your, your safe place that you can go and know that you don't have to be anything other than what you are. Um, yeah. The, there's an, there's another line that I know from recovery. It, um, it says, God will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. Mm. Um, and so, wow. you know, when you talk about building community or creating community, it's that if you begin seeking, whether that's through meditation, prayer, or some sort of curious wonder, ex exploratory process, try this group, try that group, you know, walk into this class. If it doesn't work, walk out. Um, that by that process of experimentation, we find who we fit with and we also find who we don't fit with. Mm -hmm. And gradually the, you know, your hang, <laughs> the people, your affinity sort of presents itself. It doesn't have to be imposed on something. You just naturally get together and mm -hmm. fit together. You don't have to force it. It just, these people, whatever it is, they vibe, they, mm -hmm. they're magnets. They, they belong together. And that's a really cool thing. Yeah. To see what grows up around you, to see who naturally, like, you know, there could be yoga instructors who would say, we're not doing this, but I mean, you created the structure, the organization in such a way that they want to be there, that it's attractive for them. Yeah. And, and that was one of my goals with the collective too, is that 
everyone has their own flavor and their own gifts in teaching. And sometimes in some, some places, you know, a teacher walks into a space and feels like they need to fit into the mold of whatever that owner or that studio is, you know, trying to offer. And um, I wanted a space where people could really bring to the table what they have. And so we have, you know, the collective has face yoga and Koya and, you know, all these different types of healing workshops and things. So I, that was, that was really important to me. And, and it still is, you know, with, with art of you, I am working on not just teaching Koya and doing my own version of healing workshops and retreats, but to really collaborate and bring in other people that have a similar mission and other people that are helping others to grow in self-love and embrace their authenticity. And so I'm working with another one of our community members on a happiness retreat and she's a happiness architect. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. We're going to do a happiness retreat. And another Leanne? one. Yes, Leanne. She's on, she's on the podcast. I'm sure. Yeah, she's amazing. And we've actually known each other for many years and reconnected in the squad, which we haven't spoken in many years, but it's pretty cool um, to just see how that community is coming together with the, with the, the group that you and I are in. And um, so my, my dream is to really have, whether it's virtual, whether we are here, there and everywhere, or whether we do end up in an actual physical retreat center here in Charlotte, which is what I would love, um, is to have a community where people can come and if they have something to offer, you know, that they resonate with me and my community that, that they can offer it. And if they want to come for healing, they can. I think it's just important for people to have places that they can go and just be themselves. I think that walking into that studio and sitting on that mat, it was the first time in my life that I think I ever felt that I was enough. Just me as a person, nothing that I do, nothing that I, you know, produce. It was just didn't matter what I believed, didn't matter what I thought, I could just be myself and that just sitting down and breathing was a miracle and was enough. And it was very powerful. And so I was like, yeah, and this is like you said, you go in some places and you just know I'm supposed to be here. And so I stayed my whole, everything in my body said stay. And so I stayed um, in spite of my reservations and fears and all the things that happen when you try something new. Um, and then I, it's through that same community that I found, um, that I found Koya and I was looking for a movement practice that I could add into the other things that I was already offering with my work with women. So my background is in makeup artistry and photography. And I started creating art of women because I wanted them to feel like a work of art. And I wanted to give them something physical that they could uh, look at and say, yeah, I am a work of art. Um, but really, I wanted that to be more of a representation of sort of the journey that we went on. And so 
you know, through journaling and talking, but then I really wanted that movement piece um, for them to get it kind of out of their heads and into their bodies and to listen to their inner wisdom and find their true north. And that movement practice was, was it for me when I found Koya. I was like, this is it. And so now I've sort of combined all of those all of those pieces into these retreats, um, which I'm having a lot of fun with. And I get just as much out of them as anybody that comes. This is also an, a movement practice and a, and a practice that can be taught that people of anybody in any type of body um, and they, anyone can do it. And I teach it to people that are in active cancer treatment. I teach it to people that are in a lot of pain. I I teach it to people that are just sitting in chairs. Like it's so accessible. Um, and that was another thing that really drew me to it as a practice. Whether you call it um, envisioning, vision mm -hmm. work, imagining, um, meditation, uh, self-hypnosis, mm -hmm. that the mind is so powerful. Oh, yeah, and the mind is so much more powerful than than I think we act like it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, what you think about, you bring about, it's, it is very um, important that we take care of the space between our ears. Yeah. Um. This is going to sound rude. <laughs> uh, it's an abrupt, as my, as my kids say, a hard flex. Um, you said, let's meet at your sister's. My sister's an artist. And then I look up your sister and she has this amazing art. And I want to talk to her about uh -huh. it and all that. And she presents, like to my eye, she presents as black. Mm -hmm. And to my eye, you present as, as white. And it's like an either or what, kind of a Stuart, thing. Stuart, you don't see the resemblance? <laughs> oh, I, well, I do see I'm some. I'm just kidding. No, I do see some resemblance. <laughs> yes. So, um, uh, and it's not rude. So, if you line up me and all of my cousins and my aunts and uncles and my parents and my brothers and sisters, we look like a pack of Oreo cookies. So, lots of black and white, black and white, black and white. Um, so, my mom is black. My dad is white. My sister that you met... Um, and my other sister, so I have, there's five of us. I'm number four of five. Um, the two older ones have a different biological father and my dad adopted them when they were very young. So I am half black, but I present as white. You must've been around kids sometime who made comments, um, that showed that they, um, carried, racial prejudice. Um, and yeah, and we grew up in small town Ohio, so <laughs> I think that that was, I think the fact that it was commented on, that in itself maybe would show that, you know, just because it was something that kids just, kids don't have a filter, right? <laughs> so. so how did you respond to that? Did you say anything or just not say anything or? I think I was pretty defensive of it. I was, I, I think I 
introduced myself that way a lot as a kid. Like I wanted people to know like right off of the bat that I was half black and that my, you know, I'm not even fully half black is, you know, percentages don't matter, but I I wanted people to know that my family was diverse and like that was, that was something that I let off with. I'm a mutt, you know, I've got uh, Native American and black and white and German. My, my last name was German. Uh, oh, like wow. I had a lot of, I, I really actually want to do a, a DNA test to see what all I actually have. Cause I don't know. Um, but I just kind of, people would say, you know, what ethnicity are you? And I would say, oh, I'm not. So where were you born? I was born in, um, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, which was very near where we lived. Um, Is that near Cleveland? Town. It is outside of Cleveland, yeah. So the the town that I grew up in until um, I was around eleven was called Ravenna, which is very close to Kent State College. If you're familiar with that college, um, but I was one of the only, um, was one of the only kids in my family not born at home. Mm. So my mom was a birthing superpower woman. She had all almost all of her babies at home. Um, well, she had my oldest sister in hospital and she said never again. And then I think I was actually born in a birthing center, um, but she had five natural births. I used to think she was crazy for having births at home until I did it. <laughs> um, you did it? I did. Yeah. So I had my... Why? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, I didn't actually think I would. Um my first baby I had in the hospital, I would have had it in him in a birthing center, but I carried him for too long. So they have very strict rules around how long you can carry. And he was 42 weeks and two days. And so he was um, too old to go in the birthing center. And so he was, I, I labored at home with him until the very end. And then the last two hours I was in the hospital um, and had him naturally. And then, um, no anesthetic. Mm-mm. How do you do that? It's uh, it's uh, some kind of innate power that comes that you just can't really describe <laughs> uh, until a power it beyond yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, I, I, I will, I will say this. I think that if I didn't think I would go for a natural birth, like as a, as a goal necessarily uh, until I was, I was pregnant. But the minute that I was pregnant, all of a sudden something came over me that was just like, I want the best for this baby. And I need to find out what that is. And from the moment of birth, you know, and so, and I wanted a, 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 the best experience for myself that I could you know, there's only so much you can plan with birth, right? You never know how it's going to go. But I knew that I just had a desire to learn about it. And I was like, you know, my mom was probably on to something. Let me figure out why, you know, why did she have all these natural births? And so um, I went to, I don't like hospitals. <laughs> so I was kind of like, you know, I don't really see myself having a baby at home, but I don't want to really like the hospital vibe. And so and I pregnancy is not a sickness. Right. And that was the thing. I didn't I didn't like how it's treated like, you know, a medical condition. When you come in, it's like this is a natural experience, you know. So 
obviously, thank God for medicine. It's the interventions are needed, but I came to learn that about natural birth and the, and when I say natural, I mean, unmedicated, you know, um, so I, there was an amazing birthing center here at the time called baby and company. And I, I went there and I took classes and I learned so much and I became completely, um, in love with their model. And so they were right next door to the hospital. So for me, that was close enough. I was like, okay, I'm safe here, you know, but then I ended up having to go to the hospital because I carried him for too long. Um, I was supposed to be induced, but anyway, I ended up not getting induced and, and doing kind of a home induction and then, then heading to the hospital um, when it was time to deliver. Um, but then the second time around, um, I, I wanted a more peaceful experience the, and it was also in the middle of kind of the tail end of COVID regulations where, you know, they were talking about having to wear a mask in labor and, you know, not everybody that I wanted to come could come because I knew with my first baby that the only way I could do natural is if I had like a support team, I needed people. <laughs> there we go with the community, right? Like I needed my husband. I wanted my mom there. I wanted squad. my doula. I needed my midwife. I wanted all the, I needed the support. I recognized that I didn't want to try to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the, the second time and, and it worked, it was successful the first time. Right. So I was like, okay, we'll go with that again, you know, but then the, the second time it was just like, well, you might end up being in here alone and you might end up in a, being asked to wear a mask or your husband's going to need to wear a mask. And I was like, I need to be able to see his face. <laughs> I need to be able to, you know, to, to connect without that. And, um, I just, I just knew that it was going to be okay. And so I found a um, midwife he here in South Carolina and I actually had two midwives there. I had, you know, had the team and um, I ended up having her in the water. And I, it was honestly, I had a lot of trauma after my first birth and I felt like the second birth, having her at home peacefully, as peacefully as it can go. I mean, peacefully but not pain-free right <laughs> um but it was it, it i have heard of people having pain-free births and i was hoping for that the second time around but I, I pushed through um but yeah it was much more peaceful though and being able to just have all of the care of people there at home and then just like be able to be in my own bed and i wanted my son to be able to meet her because they were like well you won't be able to her he wouldn't be able to meet her for like a couple of days you know it just there was a lot of regulations and i was i was worried about not being able to have the baby you know next to me and everything and having them try to separate us or something it just it just felt like it was the wrong choice for me at that moment and so i am so grateful we did the home birth it was amazing it was like it completely healed me from any trauma that I had from my first birth. And now I'm, I felt like I got the jackpot. One boy, one girl, I'm done. Um, as, as far as I know. Um, and they're almost five and almost two now. So great ages. Yeah. It's a fun time. We're, we're kind of, my husband and I, we just celebrated 10 years, five, almost five, almost two. Thank you. Two businesses seems working from home. Seems like a keeper. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, he's my rock. 
and uh, you know, we're business partners, we're, we're everything. And it's like the, the most crazy time in my life, the busiest time. There's not a lot of sleep. There's a lot of coffee <laughs> and it's also the most fun. And, and, you know, we're making so many memories every day, so I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. You get to be around the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I get to be with them. That'll, they'll never forget that. If we got struck by lightning today and the only thing that survived was this audio, what is your legacy? Love. My friends call me Love Spice. <laughs> um, I know it sounds cheesy, but I do feel that in every moment we have a choice to choose love in the words that we speak to ourselves, to other people. And I think that it's the most powerful force in the universe and that if we can choose love um, and that that also can mean doing the hard things, you know, um, having the courage to do the right thing, having the courage to say no or yes, when we need to, and to be, um, to stand by that, to stand up for what you believe in. I think it all comes down to uh, having the courage to love. I feel incredibly privileged to have met you, and I, I appreciate, I know you didn't want to do this, but I, I thank you for doing it. I am so grateful to call you a friend, and I've had, been having a lot of fun getting to know you, and um, I hope we can do it again sometime. Well, I have a lot more to learn, not just about Koya, but everything, so business. So thank you. Thank you. I told you we wandered all over the place. You can find Kara Truitt on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook at Kara, C-A-R-A Truitt. T-R-U-I-T-T, -T, or at Art of You, Y-O-U Studios, artofustudios.com. Look her up. Thanks, Kara. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Katherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported me and manlistening.com and in her words, the podcast and now Voice Locket, voicelocket.com. My business. Thanks so much. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much.